0: Welcome back to The Crone of Temple, Texas, a podcast featuring Barbara Wenland, a pioneer of progressive Christianity in America. Barbara has written extensively through her newsletter and books over her almost 88 years of life, and now she's allowing me to share her wisdom through this podcast. Today we're talking about a topic that to some might seem to be a closed book subject. We're discussing the topic of homosexuality specifically homosexuality within the church christianity's perspective on it and the use of language within the bible barbara will read some excerpts from her february 1996 connections newsletter and the reason that's important is because in the mid-90s the topic of homosexuality was tearing churches and families apart One of the things that I love about Barbara is her foresight to write about topics that many might have viewed as taboo at the time. The conversation is relevant today because people's views haven't changed all that much. I can assure you, whether you believe this is a topic that is long since been closed because you believe it's clearly stated in the Bible that one shouldn't engage in it, or if you believe it's an open topic that the church needs to accept freely, this conversation is full of wisdom. When it's all said and done, the takeaway that I got from this conversation with Barbara is that I have to recognize that we too often have blind spots that overlook sin conveniently when it affects us, the plank in our own eyes, so to speak, while pointing out those of others too quickly. As always, Barbara will start this episode off by reading an excerpt from her Connections newsletter.
1: To find God's will about homosexuality is about any other subject. We have to look prayerfully and with open minds and hearts. We have to look in a variety of places and consider a variety of views. We can't just assume that we already know God's will or that no one with a view different from ours could be a real Christian. We need to remember, too, that God has often spoken through people whose views were in the minority. Many were considered social outcasts, rebels, or even heretics by most members of the leading religious and political institutions of their time. It's possible, therefore, that God is speaking through such people today. In fact, it seems quite likely. When I look at the Bible, Christian tradition, the views of contemporary Christians, and recent research findings, I'm afraid we've been wrong in shunning homosexual people, refusing to let them be clergy, or even demanding celibacy from them, as many churches and individual Christians do. The few Bible verses that mention homosexual acts give the impression that homosexuality is sinful, but the gospels don't show Jesus saying anything about it. To me, this means he must not have considered it important compared to oppression, spiritual blindness, injustice, greed, and the many other offenses he spoke about constantly. I therefore doubt that followers of Jesus need to oppose homosexuality
0: so barbara you have clearly articulated your views on the topic of sexuality and we'll discuss that at length later but i wanted to first start with a broader question you had stated that we need to seek god's will about homosexuality in your opinion how do you determine god's will about anything how does one seek what his will is about homosexuality or anything else, for that matter?
1: Well, I think that involves uh, prayer, and it involves investigation by all kinds of methods, like reading, looking up information about the subject you're concerned with, Um, trying to find out what so-called experts have said about the subject, uh, to find what what science seems to have found about the subject, and then um, using your best effort, using your brain to decide what conclusion you come to after making those efforts.
0: Barbara, you and I both have spent some time in the church. And we both know that there are some people who would think the only place someone needs to look to to study a topic like this is the Bible itself. What would you say to someone who believes that the only source you need to look at is the Bible?
1: I do not believe that the Bible is God's exclusive, God's only way. Of communicating with human beings. I think many aspects of the Bible, many things that it says, really are the result of the culture that the writers happen to live in, and they aren't the last word on the subject at all. I don't think that The Bible is the only way in which God has ever communicated. I think we have to also include all sorts of other sources as uh, representing the will of God. I think that God can influence scientists, for example, to uh, come up with information about various subjects that we want to know about and we need to consider their findings that to consider just what the bible says can be very misleading
0: yeah very myopic for sure so can you talk uh, for a moment you know about how most people seek god's will i mean it, it seems like With this particular topic, it seems like if you were to only look at the surface level reading of our English translation, that it's a closed subject. Um, So maybe talk about how you have to you have to go beyond that.
1: In considering what the Bible says about any subject, you have to think about other angles on that subject and you have to look at other sources of information about that subject. Yet I feel that some people do only want to look at what the Bible says and to consider that the last word on the subject and certainly God's last and only word. And I don't think that's an accurate way to look at the Bible.
0: You had said that we should consider a variety of views, so I guess my question is, what sort of types of resources would you encourage people to use? Authors that maybe are Christians who just kind of give us a list of like, here are some examples of the types of writings or movies or whatever.
1: In investigating a subject like this, it's helpful to read books by a, a variety of authors or articles they've written or look at maybe documentary films on the subject that have been made in recent years. I have found it interesting to read several books that were written by Christians who are homosexual. And they have told their personal experience and their personal feelings and discoveries about the subject and um, also some have told about how they have been treated by the church that makes you realize how really cruel that can be. One of the books that I particularly liked about this subject several years ago Was named We Were Baptized Too, in which the author points out that uh, growing up, he was baptized just like the people that we know to be heterosexual. And he doesn't see why that makes him, why at this point in his life, the fact that he has discovered that he's homosexual should make any difference in how he's treated as a Christian. It shouldn't make a difference in the fact that he is a christian and i've also read some interesting books by parents who have discovered that their children were homosexual and about the fact that that can be a real jolt in that if it comes as a as a surprise to the parents and it it can really affect their their feelings toward that child sometimes. And uh, so I have just found several books like that to be helpful and interesting. These are, are the kinds of experience that I personally have never had. And so it's helpful to me to read things written by people who have had experience different from mine. And I think that's true of, of most subjects, that if the only views that we look at are the views of people who have had experience just like us, that that's not really helpful because it's we really need to hear the views and and hear about the experiences of people who are different from us and it often makes the subject look really different, if we do
0: that. Can you speak to the fact that one of the fundamental beliefs of Christianity is that people are flawed, they're fallen, they're they're broken. We are said to be a sinful and therefore don't view God perfectly. And yet people claim to know with certainty what God's will is on a subject. How can one say that they know what God's will is when a core fundamental belief of the religion is that they don't see God perfectly? The irony of that shouldn't be without examination.
1: I think that probably no person knows God's will perfectly because we are all humans and therefore imperfect, sinful, if you want to describe it in that terminology. And so it's important to, to face the fact that none of us are perfect. Therefore, we don't have all the knowledge there is to have. Uh, we don't have the complete contact with God, I guess you could say that it's possible to have and so it's just it's misleading to assume that our own limited knowledge and our own opinions based on our own experience represent God's will completely.
0: Are you familiar with the term cancel culture? Yes. Can you uh, explain your understanding <laughs> of that?
1: My understanding of the current use of the term cancel culture is that our current culture has developed the practice of of wanting to cancel out the people who whose opinions are different from ours that if anyone, does not agree with me on any subject that i think is important then i would have the feeling of just wanting to cancel that person from participating in the culture
0: my question is is there something inherently wrong with the mentality of cancel culture because what you seem to be encouraging is actually have a dialogue with somebody who is different than yours engage in in people that are different than you uh, for the purpose of understanding and love
1: yes i do think that rather than canceling out people who are different from us whose beliefs are different from ours it's important that we become better informed about why those people believe what they believe. And it's important to try to see maybe what their experience has been that has led them to have the kind of beliefs and feelings that they have. To love people, we can't just want to cancel them out.
0: Is it safe to say that you believe discussion or even discourse is healthy in developing relationships?
1: Yes. I have some friends who who say in the church, for example, that that they just want harmony, that they want everything to be calm and pleasant, and they don't want anyone to say anything that will cause conflict within the church. And to me, that's, that's a really mistaken way to, a mistaken expectation to have that everything will just be harmonious. Because I think any time that there's a difference of opinion, between people or among a group of people, that is likely to cause some conflict, some lack of harmony. But that, to me, doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that we just need to to look at those different opinions or different beliefs and try to see uh, how they fit or or fail to fit with what Jesus has commanded us to do, for example, but um, but to to face the fact that that there's going to be conflict where there's disagreement.
0: At some point uh i guess over the last week or two uh we had a conversation about um how in my experience uh people that i would that i would say are on the path of more spiritual tend to actually end up being more humble and more uncertain of their convictions or of their Mm -hmm. beliefs do you have anything that you'd like to say about that of just how you know it, it seems that As people progress in actual maturity, they actually become more humble and less confrontational?
1: Yes, I think that's probably true, that maturity includes some, uh, you might call it humility, but it also includes looking at different views and and at people with associating sometimes with people whose views are different from yours. I don't think that necessarily means having everything be harmonious in the sense that you don't express your opinion to people who disagree with it. But there's a ways, there are ways of expressing your views to someone who believes differently without it being a, a personal attack on that person, for example. And I think it's, it's important for every one of us to acknowledge that we don't know everything and it, that we're not right about everything, probably that we're likely to be wrong about some of the things we believe and think, and so the only reasonable thing to do is, is to just admit that and stay on the lookout for other views, other possibilities that may be corrections to ours. That are Barbara,
0: you end this section by stating we can't just assume that we already know God's will or that no one with a view different from ours could be a real Christian. The term real Christian seemed like an interesting choice of words. Is this just a misnomer? What What is a real Christian after all? And how will we know if someone is a real one or not? Who gets to decide that? Are, are any, is anybody a real Christian, or is that just a phrase to describe a culturally accepted understanding?
1: I think a lot of people have the opinion that a real Christian is someone who believes the right things, who believes what that person considers to be the right things, Um. And who does what they consider to be the right things, and I think I don't know, maybe maybe no one really qualifies as a real Christian, but that term gets used a lot to mean something that to me seems pretty superficial. It just seems like it means. Um, believing a set of of accepted beliefs, like believing the um, the doctrines of the church, the traditions of the church, um, and that to stray from those in any way whether it's to believe something different or fail to act in a certain prescribed way keeps one from being a real Christian. And I doubt that that's true.
0: So is it, you know, it's. it seems like that's a very relative.
1: Yes. Yes, I think being a real Christian or not is a is a relative term and um, one person's opinion of what is a real christian may be very different from someone else's opinion of it and there's probably no way to settle that for sure (laughs) to say uh, who's right and who's wrong about that
0: and you You had said that you know God has often spoken through people whose views were in the minority. um I'm wondering if you can give you know some examples of that from a biblical standpoint as well of you know historically are there people that you can name uh maybe even more modern times that
1: yes, I think throughout the Bible. We see that that people who were in the minority in their cultural setting turned out to be the people that evidently God favored. Uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, for example, were all um, real oddities in their, in their setting in their culture um, they spoke in ways that were not popular at all and yet they presumably were expressing God's will in that particular circumstance and in more contemporary times we have seen people who whose views were not in the majority. Uh, Certainly people like Martin Luther King were opposed by a lot of people and yet it seemed to be really that he turned out to be the one who was right in a lot of ways. Rather than the people who were opposing him, and I don't know if I can think of any, any. Uh, well, uh, uh, there's been a lot in the in the news recently, like on uh, TV with with. Uh, documentary films about the women's suffrage movement and about women trying to get the the right to vote in the United States. And um, they were in the minority in some places, and they got really mistreated because of it. Horrible things happened to them. That in ways that they were treated by law enforcement and by the majority of other people. And yet they certainly turned out to be in the right. And they have, their views eventually won out.
0: One of the morals of that lesson is that just because something is a popular belief or the loudest voice does not necessarily mean that it's a correct belief or being on the right side of history.
1: Right. And in fact, quite often it's not. It turns out not to be on the right side of history. Turns out not to be what is later seen as the much better thing to do.
0: Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation was viewed as heresy at the time. And so it it might be worth noting that much of Christendom is the result of somebody stepping outside of the norm and challenging the way things were. Martin Luther would have been considered a a religious heretic outside of the religious and even the societal norms at that time.
1: Yes, I think... Certainly, Martin Luther is a good example of that that to the the Catholic Church, which was the um, what he was officially a part of, uh, really opposed him. And yet today most Christians would say that he was the one that was on the right side. And that's true of different ones of other Christian leaders. Um, being a, a Methodist myself, I'm aware of of how John Wesley uh, was in the minority in some ways in the Church of England, which is what he was a part of. And he did things that were very unpopular in his day, like um, he, he stood out in, in city squares and, uh, in, for example, in, in Bristol in England, which was the center of the slave trade at that time, he stood out and preached against slavery and that was very unpopular in that setting and yet um we know now that that he was right about slavery being wrong and i i remember in my own experience uh, when martin luther king was alive and and speaking publicly, everybody I knew thought that he was just terrible, that, and they said, you know, he's breaking the laws, he's upsetting the, the society, and um, he's, just, he's just really awful. And yet, and I, at that time, I assumed that those people were right because it was my parents and a lot of friends and really everybody I knew at that time. And yet, in my later years, I have realized that uh, what he was saying and doing was very admirable and that these everybody's that I knew back in my earlier years were wrong about their views.
0: Coming from a rather sheltered life where exposure to homosexual people or even uh, an understanding of what homosexuality was kept you in the dark until later in life. So what led you to explore this topic and ultimately change your beliefs about it?
1: Uh, Oh, for, for many years, I really knew nothing about that subject it it wasn't talked about in any circles I was in and of course I'm sure there were homosexual people around but um, I think they didn't make it known like people now do and I led a very sheltered life and i just i didn't have any contact with people who weren't pretty much like me and my family and friends and so i didn't know anything about homosexuality i remember in my church that i grew up in there were two men who were very active i mean they were they were there every Sunday at the worship services. They always came together. And um, I just kind of vaguely assumed that there was something odd about that and maybe something wrong. But I didn't have any explicit uh, thoughts, really, about why they were, were acting in that different way that everybody else in the church seemed to be married couples men and women married to each other and Family groups and so on and then there were these two men Who didn't fit that pattern? and I I Was aware that they didn't fit the pattern, but I had no idea why or what they did that was different other than coming to church together every Sunday
0: so why did you choose to lean into that and to explore it and ultimately change your beliefs
1: I don't know I guess because it it became talked about more and he just he started hearing about people who were homosexuals, like maybe movie stars or um, somebody who was in the news somehow. And so I began hearing about that. And like lots of other things, that made me want to know more about it to know why that was happening and so, and once I knew more about it, I came to feel that it was not something that was wrong, it may have been odd in the sense of being different from the majority of people, but that that didn't mean that it was wrong. Several years ago, in my home church, here in Temple, it was announced who the next pastor of our church was going to be. Like in the Methodist system, the pastors change every few years and the bishop appoints a pastor to each congregation. And um, that used to not become known until actually the day for the one pastor to move and a new one to come but now in more recent years it's been announced um, oh a few weeks or so ahead of time as to when a pastor is going to leave and a new one's going to come and so in my church it was announced what new pastor was coming to our church soon and he happened to be a friend of mine uh, i knew him through um my involvement in the annual conference which is the decision-making body the regional decision-making body of the methodist church uh, i had been on some boards or committees with him at the annual conference level and I didn't know him extremely well, but I knew him, and he was a friend, and I liked him, and I was aware that he seemed to have done a good job in uh, offices he had held and in pastorates he had, had held, and yet when he, when it was announced that he's who was coming, uh, some people in my congregation were just up in arms. They said, we can't have this man at our church. He's gay. And uh, we just absolutely cannot put up with having him here as our pastor. And so they started talking about how to get rid of him, but uh, that wasn't possible. He did come, but the, um, the talk about it Continued, and, and he was. People really talked to his face about uh, how, how terrible it was. And oh my goodness, all sorts of things happened. One, one member of the congregation followed him around town for a while, was stalking him, sort of. And he had the police had to give him a, a bulletproof vest to wear for a while because of people that were so opposed to him, and especially this one person that was stalking him. It was, it was really just horrible. And he was finally ousted. Some people on the church staff searched his computer and found some material on it that had to do with gay practices these people uh, reported that to the bishop and um, the district superintendent who are the controlling officials in the methodist church and so they did they ousted him because of that of the material on his computer my husband and i were really appalled by the way he had been treated then a new pastor was appointed And we assume that certainly the new pastor would have something to say about the fact that what all this all this that had been happening was wrong the way the church had treated this other pastor but instead the new pastor just essentially swept it all under the rug and said it's all been taken care of and we're not going to discuss it that that was really appalling to my husband and me plus that this new pastor had very conservative views on some things that we had by that time much more progressive views on we just finally got where we felt like we could not bear to sit there on sunday morning so we stopped participating in the congregation, and that was a huge step for us, and a very painful one, because my husband was a native of Temple where we live and he had been in that very congregation for his entire life, and I had been in it for uh, the 40 or 50-something years since we married and we were both very active in it in various ways and had been continually and so for us to stop participating was just a huge change for us but at that point we felt like it was a change that we had to make and so we did and then In a couple of weeks, I got an email from one of the associate pastors who happened to be also the music director and therefore we knew quite well since we were in the choir and involved in the music program always. And I got an email from her saying she had been ordered to have no further contact with me or my husband. And that was just, that was a huge jolt to me. I just, I thought, what on earth is is the reason for this and um, who gave this order, though it was clearly, it would have been the senior pastor who gave the order because that's the person in charge. And um, so this, it was, I don't know. Probably the most painful experience in my life to be uh, essentially ousted in that way from our local congregation, and um, uh, he, she, neither she nor he did ever have any further contact with us, and so that's the way it ended, essentially. It's
0: terrible.
1: It was a very painful experience, and and I didn't even tell anyone about it for a, uh, quite a long time. I was so shocked by it, I I just kind of couldn't think what to do or what to think. But then when I finally did tell some people I knew about what had happened. They all seemed just horrified, but I never did really know anyone who spoke up about it and uh, made any effort to get any changes made. So, you know, that kind of reinforced my feelings about being unwanted by my own congregation
0: god that's insane and completely sad and yet it's really not all that surprising it seems you were just trying to love someone through a painful experience and you were essentially shunned from the church for that Barbara, I know you have a bit more of your February 1996 uh, newsletter in which this topic was featured. If you wouldn't mind, could you read where you left off the part about how some words that we read don't actually mean what we assume they mean?
1: Some Bible words don't mean what we assume they mean. Scholars find that our concept of sexual orientation was unknown until the late 1800s so that scripture writers aren't likely to mean what that concept means for us now. Many Bible scholars believe that the scriptures about sexual contact between people of the same sex refer only to prostitution, sexual contact forced on a powerless person by a powerful one and other behaviors that are harmful, but aren't linked to homosexual people. The Bible's overall message is what counts. Throughout the Bible, we're repeatedly told to treat others with love and justice and to help people we see being mistreated. We're told that God's grace is for everyone. We're told that Jesus has atoned for all sins. I believe these messages override the few verses that seem to condemn homosexual acts. Homosexuals have no monopoly on sexual sins. Preying on children for sexual contact is wrong whether the person who does it is heterosexual or homosexual. Rape is wrong no matter who does it or who is raped. Every other kind of sexual contact forced on an unwilling or unaware person is wrong. We need to oppose these spiritually, emotionally, and physically harmful behaviors. But this doesn't mean opposing all homosexuals or ignoring the behavior in heterosexuals. Most gays and lesbians are harmless. According to the research I've seen, Violent, promiscuous, and predatory sex acts are no more typical of homosexuals than heterosexuals. We hurt innocent people when we accuse a whole group of people for behavior that many of its members don't engage in. We ignore many sins named in Scripture. The rules of the United Methodist Church, similar to those in other denominations, say that since the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, self-avowed practicing homosexuals are not to be accepted as candidates, ordained as ministers, or appointed to serve in the United Methodist Church. This position is based on a strangely selective use of scripture. Greed, lying, gossip, envy, Haughtiness, boastfulness, and foolishness are all included in the New Testament list of sins that include some homosexual practices, but we don't forbid self-about practicing greedy people or gossips from becoming clergy. Neither do we oust clergy or shun anyone else for wearing clothes made of two fabrics, yet that is forbidden in the same part of the Bible that forbids certain homosexual practices. And Christians who oppose homosexuality apparently do not oppose the plant hybridization that has eased famine and improved nutrition, yet hybridization requires planting two kinds of seeds in the same field which the bible specifically forbids to me that kind of selectiveness in using the bible makes no sense i seriously doubt that homosexuality is a sin but what if it is david and many other heroes and heroines of the bible are evidence that god chooses leaders who aren't perfect and who haven't even reformed. God calls sinners into ministry and into leadership positions. There's no other kind of people to call. I'm afraid if we really want to follow Christ and to do God's will, our churches can't reject people whom God has called. We can't pretend that other people's sins matter, but our own do not
0: some bible words don't mean what people assume they mean assume might not be the best use of words here because i would imagine that people would say this is how it's interpreted or studied from the original language can you share how readers often give a word a connotation that that it doesn't necessarily or actually even mean
1: the term homosexuality and the whole idea of people having a different sexual orientation from the majority—those uh, concepts evidently didn't exist until I'm thinking it was sometime in about the 1800s. It was very recent compared to the Bible and um, yet some of today's church goers uh, there again who, who see anything that's different from the majority or for people, from people like them They see those things as being bad, being wrong, and so it's easier, it's easy for them to interpret those few Bible verses as meaning, um, meaning that homosexuality is sinful. Even though we now know from scholars that that was not even a subject that was known at at that time in the sense that we know of it today. In some cultures it was, uh, people knew it existed but it was assumed to be okay.
0: So you, you wrote here that you know that it had a lot of connotations typically to mean prostitution or sexual contract being forced. Can you ex- unpack that or explain that a little bit more?:
1: I don't know. Maybe that there were uh, homosexual practices. Um, Which were known in earlier societies, but they were known in the context of of prostitution, or um, I don't know, some kind of of forced treatment of people as distinguished from. What we now know as personal relationships, loving relationships, faithful relationships, um, even marriage between people of the same sex.
0: Sometimes people have a fear that we can't let a homosexual be a Bible teacher or or a small group leader because they might impose their beliefs on somebody or... Uh, on somebody more impressionable. Can you talk about how we hurt innocent people when we accuse a whole group of a behavior that many of its members don't engage in?
1: Some people assume that everyone who is homosexual uh, is likely to uh, be a child molester or a rapist or whatever. And um, I'm. it seems to me that that is simply not true, that there are child molesters and there are rapists in the world, but they are just as likely or maybe even more likely to be heterosexual than homosexual. That those... Um, harmful behaviors are really not limited to homosexuals at all. In fact, they may even be less likely to be true of homosexuals. But some people seem to associate those damaging behaviors with that whole group of people.
0: The church often has a tendency of ignoring certain sins while judging others harshly. Uh, Christians ignore sins all the time. Uh, Christians ignore the sins when it's convenient or even personal, but call it out and hate it when it suits their views. So will you talk about the, the, I don't know, ignorant and calloused heart that allows people to point out the speck in someone else's eye while ignoring the plank in his or her own eye oh
1: yes yes well I think for one thing it's easier to, to see things that we personally don't do as sinful uh, you know if I'm not a homosexual then It's easier for me to say, well, homosexuality is a terrible sin. But actually, all these kinds of uh, behaviors that the Bible does mention as being harmful or sinful or whatever, like greed and such, you know, I may be greedy, but I don't want to see that in myself. And so... um, And I may have friends who are greedy, but um, I can excuse what they do because they're my friends and they're nice people. Whereas something like homosexuality, if I know that's something that I don't do and that um, most of the people I know don't do, well, it's a lot easier to see that as sinful than to see the things that we do Uh, wrong. Treating other people with injustice and, you know, all kind of, of things that involve oppression of other people. And I don't really want to look at those if I'm causing any of them because I'm a good person. And it's more comfortable to be selective in thinking about what is sinful and what is not.
0: When I think about you know what that does to me personally whenever i judge someone or uh, or judge anything is it puts me in a position of authority right whenever i feel like i am right and someone or something else is wrong i judge that behavior and therefore i i seem to be somehow a more virtuous person right um That seems to be a good place to end this conversation. I feel like we must
1: have covered this subject. Yeah, we definitely
0: have. I'm I'm looking forward to our next conversation, Barbara, because you raise an issue that I have felt strongly about over the last several years. And that's the fact that the church is married to tradition, not to the God they claim. So join us next time on The Crone of Temple, Texas. If you've enjoyed this episode, please, please, please share it with others. Post it on your social media, leave a comment, however you think best to help spread the word. Follow us on social media platforms. And if you haven't subscribed to Barbara's email list, you're going to want to do that because she has uh, such a way with words and she puts much of her thinking into those posts, into those emails. So thank you for listening to The Crone of Temple, Texas.